Hi, this is Sean Sipos. I play Adam Strange on Krypton, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to Neil Before Pod Prime, the podcast that did not fail this universe. We're a little late to the party, but we couldn't leave our discussion of the CW mega crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Earths, unfinished. I'm your host, Craig, and I'm here to lead you through the final two episodes. But first, I need brave heroes from vast corners of different universities to help with this discussion. First up, we have the paragon of nerdiness, Andrew, from Earth. Andrew. I love you. (laughs) Hey, we're not spoiling yet, but, but thank you. And we have the paragon of, I don't know, tech from Earth. Chris, it's Chris. Hello. The Earths are quite handily named this week, so we're, you know, I know where everybody's from. Imagine having a whole Earth named after you. Must be nice. Yeah. So yeah, we're here to talk about Crisis again, because they split it into two parts, which was, well, two airing blocks, which is kind of annoying, but here we are. But first... It's the triumphant return of our Neil Before Rise Again segment. Everyone is delighted. There has been letters. They all went to the wrong address because I've just moved house. But there have been letters. Well, that's what I'm telling myself. So at my old address, can't even open the door because there's so many letters. People have been posting letters. Can you believe that? Okay, I will pick Andrew. Go first. What do you want to rise against? Okay. Rising against the possibility of a remake of The Howling has come to light. If you're unaware, this is a werewolf horror movie from the early 1980s, which is absolutely fantastic. It is sinister as hell, has some fantastic practical creature effects, and it's really one of those films that really can't benefit from getting remade, I don't think just because it's absolutely fine as it is, particularly with a number of sequels to it, which left quite a lot to be desired. You mean there was an 80s horror movie with a ton of sequels that no one's ever seen? Oh, shocking, isn't it? (laughs) Unheard of. Amazing. Absolutely. Well, they're literally unheard of because no one has seen them, probably. Except you, I guess. Yes, all of them. (laughs) And I don't know why. It's a compulsion that... I should probably seek professional help about. Yeah, well, I'm like that with well, GTA until movies. So yeah, we all need help. So so basically, it's it's another example of Hollywood's current obsession with just remaking the entirety of the 1980s. Though sometimes it can be done in in a good way. Say say with likes of Stranger Things, which just completely encapsulates like everything everything that was great about film film in the 80s. But this being just another uh, potential succession of remakes, there's just nothing to come of it, and I don't think it will come out to be very well received and will likely die a meaningless death. I was listening to another podcast recently where they were pitching the idea of putting a protection order against certain films. So a bit like a historical buildings uh, code where you can't make modifications or remodify the building, that you could apply that to certain films. And I'm kind of coming around to that idea. Yeah. I mean, the only thing stopping Back to the Future from being made is the fact that Robert Zemeckis is still alive. 
he won't ever let it be remade as long as he lives. So everyone look after Robert Zemeckis, please. Because you can bet that as soon as he dies, they'll start thinking about commissioning a remake of that in some way. But um, The Howling, I've seen it. Uh, Joe Dante, I like his work. You know, Gremlins. He did Gremlins and a bunch of other things. And an episode of Legends of Tomorrow, let's not forget. That's true. I mean, it wasn't a very good episode of Legends of Tomorrow because it was in season one, but he did one. I mean, isn't it just going to be another generic werewolf movie? Because isn't the thing that makes The Howling memorable is the fact that Joe Dante made it? I mean, it's not exactly special otherwise, is it? Pretty much, yeah. And also having the distinction of being released in the same year as An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, which was like higher budget and, yeah. Yeah, and generally accepted as one of the best werewolf movies ever. That'll get remade eventually, or they'll do a sequel or like a reimagining or something. They'll get around to it. Yeah, because that's how this works. Yeah, fair enough. I hate this too, so good one. Chris, do you hate this? Yeah, why not? Cool. All right, your turn. Rise against. My turn to rise against. I'll do a minor grumble. I think we kind of covered this on a previous podcast as well. The Oscar nominations are out again. (laughs) And I always find it quite funny how the Oscars rise against popular films. I found it really funny that, for example... Joker. Yeah, exactly. So I find it really funny, for example, that Avengers Endgame is only nominated for the visual effects, which are stunning and deserve a nomination. But I found it really, really funny that it's nominated for that one single thing. It's not the most major uh, problem with Oscar nominations, to be honest, but (laughs) it's within our format. So that is the bit I wanted to raise. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about awards, so you know, I basically don't have an opinion on the Oscars, but they, they just seem to be doing the same thing every year. And I mean, Netflix films are getting nominated, but I feel like they're token nominations because the Academy of Stuffed Shirt White Boys or Old White Men won't exactly let those win because it's seen as like the death of cinema to some influential people, which, I mean, maybe, but surely the death of cinema is the fact that there's nothing worth watching. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty worth mm. watching, but is there a, people aren't willing to pay for it, I suppose, or pay a lot of money for one viewing when you can pay less and get all this content online for free. Well, not free, but for your monthly subscription. I think the fact that Joker was nominated is hilarious. I mean, it is the top grossing R-rated film of all time, but it's also a comic book movie, and it's also a shameless copy of, kind of Martin Scorsese's directing style. So... Is that what it takes now to be apparently nominated for Best Picture? That's kind of shallow. Just kind of do a carbon copy of something yeah. and go for yeah. it. Yeah. And circumstances prevented us from talking about Joker, but um, I didn't like it, suffice it to say. And I certainly don't think it's deserving of Best Picture nominations and things like that. I mean, yeah, it's just a Scorsese ripoff, isn't it? So it literally rips off two of Scorsese's films. And <laughs> the only reason it's getting away with it is that a lot of the audience that watch Joker haven't seen it, haven't seen those movies. Mm. So, yeah. Andrew, what do you make of the Oscar noms? Do you care? Yeah, well, I'm pretty much the same. With these kinds of high-profile awards ceremonies in general, they're always incredibly self-congratulatory and and so incredibly worthy with the, the works that get nominated. And then deigning like to give Endgame uh, just a, a visual effects nomination is something like, oh well, it was kind of well, people kind of liked it, I suppose. So I suppose we'd better acknowledge that it exists, but it isn't really our kind of film, though. 
Yeah, Martin <laughs> Scorsese doesn't watch them, so we can't recognise them. Oh god, I have many opinions on that. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that was part of what influenced uh, some of the voters? Was the whole debate about it's not cinema? No, it's uh, the same um, every year. These films yep. never get attention unless someone yep. in them dies. And, and I, th- I think that most people involved with the academy had um, held pretty much the pretty uh, pretty much the uh, corresponding opinions uh, well well before Martin Scorsese came, uh, came out with his very badly worded diatribe against people having fun and enjoying things. <laughs> and also, I I agree with your points about Joker. I also did not like it. Just basically a uh, uh, variation of. Of like, of like taxi driver and king comedy, as you, as you suggested, but because it was done in the kind of style of being like, this isn't just a comic book movie. This film has something to say, therefore it's important. This, th- therefore, it's worth getting nominated. Yeah, it has nothing to say, but you know, but no, but yeah, yeah, the thing, but it thinks it does though. Yeah, uh, as, and what it does eventually coming out with is just so incredibly shallow and basic. Then I find it frustrating that so many people seem to love it so much. Yeah, it's what it is. The Oscars will come and go, and we won't care because we're all about the big summer blockbusters. You know, those underdogs that never get nominated for awards. That's what we're all about. I mean, I hope Endgame gets something. It deserves that recognition. You know, no one really heard of it, and so many talented people put a lot of hard work in, and nobody's seen it. Can you believe that? It's insane. Shameful, it really is. Very, yeah. very underserved. That's it. Yeah, these films never get the recognition they deserve. <laughs> Hardly hits any cinema screens. Doesn't make any money. Yeah, this bit is terrible. Um, of course, it's the biggest film of it. <laughs> Will it get in a golden statue? Make a difference? Not really. I mean, when it comes to awards, I'd always rather see smaller films that sort mm. of need that boost get that True. recognition. You know, so like. Joker's not an underdog. People are treating it as such because it's a comic book movie and this is practically unheard of kind of thing, apart from like Black Panther last year. But there's other deserving films, surely, that deserve that push into people's perception so that people can see them. That's just my view, but it is a prestige ceremony and yeah, once it's over, I'll forget all about it won't care. So, good rise against. My rise against... Is the Mandalorian because I oh. hate it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I haven't seen it all. I've seen like five episodes, maybe four episodes. I don't know. I stopped watching at some point because I just found it so tedious and boring. I wasn't engaged by the main character, Baby Yoda. I mean, you get as much out of Baby Yoda by going on Twitter as you do by watching <laughs> the show. So there's there's no difference there. It's also not called Baby Yoda. They want you to call it the child, even though everyone calling it Baby Yoda. So. Disney, you lose this one. I think it's a good idea to branch out the Star Wars universe into showing us stuff that we haven't seen before. And I think it's reflective that it's not all going to be for me, so that's fine. But this really isn't for me, so I don't like it. I kind of disagree with you on that one. I mean, I, I, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I quite liked how it started, it started off like, as being a Western in the vein of Sergio Leone's Dollar Trilogy with, with, with Clint Eastwood. But then when Baby Yoda turned up, it kind of suddenly veered into a variation on the manga series uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, which you might know as a series of Japanese films, each with a variation on, on the Baby Cart title. It's essentially a lone warrior wandering around a wasteland with 
the small child until. And I liked how the story of it took various aspects from 70s cinema and then mixed them into in, this science fiction setting. And I did also like this acknowledging that there are some things that that, that happen in, in this galaxy which have absolutely nothing to do with it, with the Skywalkers or the extended events surrounding them. People living actual lives free of, of this like seemingly endless saga and just want to get, get on with things independent of them. And I think that the way the Mandalorian came, came across was a good way of starting that and by, by having a property that specifically wasn't anything to do with that, but completely separate from them. Yeah, fair it is. As I've evidenced, it's not for everyone. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. It's for you. So here we go. I've got to say, I'm I'm kind of Andrew on this one. What I've seen, I've really enjoyed. I think the production values behind it are absolutely amazing. I think it's really well put together. I do think there's a bit of a struggle part way through where it seems to build towards nothing, but I kind of like the journey it takes you on nonetheless, and I like the little stories it tells and the characters it introduces. I think part of the problem that some people have is the fact that your main character is basically in a mask the entire time. So you don't get that sort of familiarity with them, with their their expressions, which I think engages you more to a character that you're spending so much screen time with. So getting used to just a plain face mask, as much as you can get bits from the voice and you can get bits from the way they're acting... It, it still disconnects you slightly from them. But yeah, I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. Cool. There we go. I'm outnumbered. It's like the Ready Player One podcast, except everyone <laughs> being ganged up on. <laughs> okay, let's move on to... Well, you were positive, so it's, we should move on to being positive. Andrew, what do you want to kneel before? Right, I am kneeling for the glorious pair of trailers that we were given for Guns Akimbo. If you missed this, this is a completely demented action thriller starring Daniel Radcliffe as a random who gets a pair of pistols bolted to his hands and forced to fight in this underground urban gladiatorial tournament which is live-streamed over the internet by a clandestine gang who force people into the fights. And he finds out that for his first match he is up against Samara Weaving who is absolutely love. She's fantastic. She's playing this uh, demented, coke-snorting badass who looks like she's already killed so many people that she just doesn't care anymore. The whole thing looks completely demented, utterly relentless, and the whole hell of a lot of great fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. I haven't seen these trailers, and you kind of had me excited, although I have to keep thinking that Daniel Radcliffe's in it, which is... Somewhat off-putting. What did Daniel Radcliffe do to hurt you? Nothing. I just don't think he's that good. <laughs> I feel like he's a bit Nicholas Holty in the sense that he's kind of dull. They're both going to beat you up. You know that, right? One of these days. <laughs> those two in J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Form a <laughs> or, queue. <laughs> or they're all going to make like a Spider-Man film or something like that and just really piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the trailer, Chris? I have not seen the trailer, but this sounds absolutely batch. I am all for it. That is brilliant. I'm looking Why forward not? to Andrew rising against it in a few months when it turns out it's yeah, a massive disappointment. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm just not thinking about that right now. Right now, I'm just on a personal internal hype train. 
I'm deciding that it's going to be absolutely amazing. Could be the next Brightburn. Oh, don't. No. 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 Why would you bring that up, Craig? Okay, my thoughts on Brightburn was cautious optimism. (laughs) Uh, We'll listen back to that reel before. Which which turned out to be way utterly unfounded. (laughs) But this just looked too utterly ridiculous to be anything but entertaining. And also, it's directed by the guy who did this New Zealand horror comedy called Deathgasm, which... Again, I would really recommend. Just also a lot of great fun about a teenage band who accidentally incorporate black magic into their music and summon a bunch of demons. <laughs> that was and basically an episode just of Just as ridiculous as that sounds. <laughs> it sounds it's so good. <laughs> cool. So check out Guns Akimbo. I'll look at the trailer later on. It'll be in the show notes. On paper, sold. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris, what do you want to kneel before? Oh, am I all right doing another bit of Star Wars news? Sure. You all right with a bit of Star Wars news? Okay. So I'm going to kneel before the fact that uh, Taika Waititi has uh, been approached to direct a Star Wars film or TV oh. show. Mm. And it intrigues me. And it may be the exact kind of completely palate-cleansing Star Wars film <laughs> that we need. <laughs> so... <laughs> Or because if we add this to the list of stuff that he could never make, it could it could be one of those where he goes, "Ha, fantastic! Thank you very much for inviting me on, guys. Here's my plan." And then they go, "Oh no, no, no! That's that's not. That's just yeah, no." Oh my god, you kiwi madman! No, we're not doing this. It could be the thing they did with Solo, where it's like, mm, uh, this seems too much like comedy to us. It's like, we hired comedy directors. Yeah, but we didn't want comedy. So, where did you hire us? <laughs> it could be exactly that thing again. Yeah. It's unconfirmed whether it's film or TV. So, it could well, be interesting. Does it matter at this point? Uh, yeah, well, that's true. It's all kind of along the same thing. But, he's not failed me yet. So, I'm hopeful. Okay. <laughs> and also, he has proven in both film and, and TV. He is, yeah. So it'll be what we do in the Star Wars. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah. I'd watch the hell out of that. Just for the title, which is the funniest thing I'll ever say. And it was recorded, so there we go. Score. Yeah, there we go. Okay, manual before, it actually changed a couple hours ago because I ended up watching something and I was like, I have to make people know about this. It's a TV show that's going to be on Hulu, where the pilot exists at the moment, called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So the premise is that Zoe is an introverted computer programmer who goes for an MRI scan because she has headaches, and that's not important. And there's an earthquake, and then suddenly, after this earthquake, she hears the innermost desires and thoughts of people through song. So she'll be walking down the street and someone will be singing about how sad they are, but they're only singing to her. She's the only one that can hear it and witnesses it. But there's all these kind of choreographed performances that happen. It is quite insanely fun. I really enjoyed the first episode and I'll be watching more of it when it comes. It's not original songs. It's all kind of it's all songs that are known you know, that exist already, but they fit the person's mood and the idea is they allow her to make an emotional connection with them because she can interpret the song to find out how they're feeling and then talk to them. So it's pretty insane and I had a great (laughs) time with it. Okay, that sounds nuts and it's music related, so yeah, probably up my street. (laughs) Yeah, and I'd heard of at least four of the songs in that first episode. 
at least. So. I, wonder, I wonder if they blew all the money on the first episode, though, and then the rights issues kick in <laughs> from episode two onwards. Well, I'm wondering if it's a premise that'll dry itself up pretty quickly, if it might have been better as a film or something like that. But for now, I'm along for the ride. I, I quite like it. It's quite engaging. How, how many songs were there in the first episode? I don't know, like five, maybe? Four, five or six. Okay. Yeah, so... I mean, I'm not going to be reviewing it. I don't have that kind of time, but it's good fun, and I'll keep watching it. I think it appears sort of early to mid-February, and Hulu's got it, so I don't know if it's all at once release or once a week, but definitely check it out if you can get a hold of it. Well, what what you do is you don't do a written review. You just post the episode title and then the YouTube video to a song that sums up your emotions about that that episode. Yeah, that could work. There you go. You're welcome. You could have that idea. (laughs) And credit me. Yeah. (laughs) Or we could do we could do a podcast about about it and have this be a, our musical episode. Yeah, we're forty episodes into our one hundred to two hundred run, and we still haven't done a musical episode. We're failing all over the place. Yeah, but almost just not put, putting the effort in. Yep, that's it. Or almost as if none of us can sing. I mean, that doesn't matter. Everyone can sing. It's a depends on whether no. you can sing well. No, no, we can't. Yep. I can sing, but yep. not well. Well, there is visual and vocal evidence of me at the Edinburgh Film Festival last year. <laughs> um, that is true. Regarding pre- precisely how badly I sing. <laughs> the Same. performance, though. Yeah, um, the performance, Andrew. <laughs> wow. Exactly. That's what, the that's presence. what it's all about. The yep. stage presence. Yep. Well, this one had actually managed to slip by me, so it does sound, sound like a lot of fun, so I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out as well. Yeah, I only kind of found it by accident yeah, as well. I think the closest comparison I could think of anything, uh, it sounds like it might be in like a similar kind of vein to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, with the narrative being periodically dispersed with elaborate song and dance numbers, which sum up the mood of any given moment. It just uh, seems to be, it would be quite similar in tone. Yeah, well, you can let us know next time you watch it, if you watch it, because uh, I haven't seen it. But that's exactly what the tweet I stumbled across that recommended it suggested was the best comparison so yeah you can let me know perhaps on air and perhaps not who knows so there we go we made it through our kneel before rise against and we're ready to get to the main topic so crisis on infinite earths has finished and we're here to talk about it so just give us even though we've kind of talked about the first half already let's kind of do a bit of a brief spoiler free on the ending of it. So, Andrew, what were your thoughts on the ending without spoiling? Given the number of things that they had to, to tie together and all the different story aspects that were being incorporated, I think they did about as good a job as was possible in the circumstances. I don't think everything came off flawlessly. There were a few missteps, but I think overall they did a pretty good job. Chris? Yeah, I kind of went Andrew on this. I don't know what quite I was expecting as the f- the outcome at the end of this. It left me with a couple of questions and a couple of I've got to rewind and figure out what they've done again. But apart from that, yeah, overall I think it was a, a great event. They've, they've managed to pull it off somehow. But uh, but yeah, I've got a few questions. Of which we will get into later on. I'm kind of with you guys. I think... Uh, was mostly successful. I really enjoyed the thing as a whole. It really entertained me. Um, there's a few things that were weak about it. 
And without spoiling it, I think it's the stuff that the Arrowverse shows are generally weak at. They didn't seem to fix in this either. So, yeah, there's a lot of good in there, but it's kind of dragged down by some bizarre missteps that they probably could have avoided quite easily. Definitely ambitious. and They didn't disappoint me on delivering on that promised ambition. And I think it's quite funny that I think it was Greg Berlante was saying they're operating on Endgame's catering budget, but they consider it to be that kind of scale. It just gives you an idea of the difference in resources between a TV show like this or a number of TV shows like this and a film like Endgame or, you know, any kind of blockbuster film, I think. Yeah, you, you can't compare it. And the fact that they pulled this off with significantly fewer resources was quite something. So, shall we launch into spoilers and just really dig into this? That's yes. what we're here for. Let's, let's go with for. yes. Let's what what do would it. you do? If we said no, would we Then I would pull to... rank and we'd be doing it anyway. Okay, all right. Cool. Just checking. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> okay, so I think last part we made some predictions and we were pretty on the money. I mean, we did suggest that part four would essentially be the conclusion and part five would be basically an epilogue that has nothing to do with what part four was about essentially and I I think we were right there completely right because that's exactly what happened part four functionally wrapped up the whole crisis situation and part five was just I guess housekeeping afterwards I mean there was the anti-monitor back for some reason but on the whole it was more about teasing what was to come next so I think that approach was fine because I would have really kind of hated it had they just stopped the anti monitor and been like, yeah, well done, guys. What does this mean? Oh, you'll have to watch these other five shows to find out what happens <laughs> there. <laughs> I think to get a sense of what's happening or what will happen next and what's different within the event itself gives the event that importance that it needs. It's, yeah, it's important that it affects everything and we're going to start showing you how it affects everything here. But if you want to know more, Everyone's going back home at the end of this one, and you'll get to see a bit more. I can't remember what other predictions we had. Probably should have listened to those, but I think we were largely spot on. Yeah, I also didn't write down my predictions. (laughs) I don't remember while watching it thinking, oh, I was totally wrong about that for any specific thing. Nothing about it really surprised me, because... I mean, it's predictable, but it wasn't predictable in an annoying way. And I didn't know if I was 100% confident that they were going to unite the Earths that they were going to put them all together. I know that's what they did in the comic, and I think I mentioned in the in the podcast, I wasn't 100% convinced that they would go, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to ditch all the multiple Earths, we're going to put them all onto one. I didn't know if they would actually have the goal to do that, but they've done it. Yeah, I think the reason that we thought they weren't going to do it is because they didn't need to do it. Mm. Because it's just so easy for Kara to cross over with all the other characters that it's not necessary to unite them. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad they've done it just because it almost feels right. It almost feels like that's what's supposed to be. And, I mean, the, yeah, the prospect is fun. And it's possible now that well, with with the Earths of the, of the principal shows being united, it's a possibility that crossing between various Earths might be more complicated in, in future. Because now, now that they've done away with the necessity of, of doing so for the characters to appear in one another's shows... Should a situation arise where they have to cross over for whatever reason, then they might find it as straightforward as it, ha- it has been in the past and will provide a new problem for them to overcome. Well, this week's Supergirl addresses that directly. It confirms that as far as the characters that we're following are concerned, 
there is no multiverse. They think that there's only one Earth. Obviously, we know from the cameos at the end of the crossover that there's multiple ones. I guess the, the standing order now is the fact that every DC property ever made now exists as part of the same multiverse. So, I mean, the ending showed us the new Green Lantern show they're developing, Stargirl, Titans, Doom, Doom Patrol. Patrol, and Swamp Thing, wasn't it? it was, and, oh, and, of course, Superman. Yeah. Yeah, the Earth-96 Superman, the Brandon Routh one. So those Earths still exist, but as far as our characters know, they don't, and they're not able to detect other Earths anymore. So the suggestion is they're all closed off to them until such times as they decide, nah, we'll want to do crossovers to other Earths again. <laughs> you know, it'll happen. It will happen. It probably will. I mean, I yeah. think I think the problem's going to be the addressing the, why don't you just call bloody blah which has always been a problem with these shows. It's because they're always busy fighting a villain of their own. Oh yeah. Oh well, he <laughs> oh he didn't he did he just didn't pick up his phone. Okay, well that's a great excuse. Time number one. What about time number two? Is he still not pick? Yeah, he's still not picked up his phone. Okay. Oh, this is a, a world threat. I I better handle this by myself. Not call for any form of backup whatsoever. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of those that's. Okay, great. You've got everyone sitting under the same bit now, but trying to unify all that together in the themes of the show is is going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to accept the fact that they all have their own issues that they need to deal with, mm. and then every now and again they'll sort of come together. It is quite funny. For example, that Arrow episode where it's like, "We need to get here quickly," and then the next thing you know, you see the the flash lightning effect sort of dropping them mm-hmm. off. It's like, are you doing this all the time? Why do you ever like take the bus or whatever? Why do you, <laughs> why do you just do this all the time? The reason they don't do it all the time is because they can't afford to keep bringing these characters in every week because it's you know expensive. They're operating on Endgame's catering budget. We can't afford to keep doing this because you would have to pay a lead actor quite a lot of money to do extra work, you would imagine. So that's why <laughs> there's something that keeps them apart. So, yeah. Yeah, and also from a narrative perspective, having them always uh, call in other people to fix their problems would end up getting a bit tedious. Yeah, it definitely would. And after a while, it would just, it would just feel, feel like they're incapable of dealing with things themselves. Yeah. Although there's definitely been some instances where I feel like it would be, they'd be better suited swapping villains. For example, a villain that removes Barry's speed by being near him. Just get Kara involved. Just wouldn't have the same effect necessarily. I don't know. There's all sorts of things that they could do, but probably won't do. But yeah, they're on the same earth now, and yeah, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, I think. So the first part was mainly focused on this resolution of the well, the destruction of the multiverse. They had to fix it, and it also coupled as a another ending for Oliver Queen. I mean, the guy gets so many death scenes. <laughs> And he's probably got another one to come as well, because there's still two episodes of Arrow left at, at the time of recording. So, yeah, he's probably got one, at least one in the bag. You know, this, the guy's like, nah, nah. He's, he's like someone that thinks he's important and has several birthday parties. Uh, so I'm going to have several birthday parties because I'm that important. It's like, I'm going to have several deaths because cause I created this universe, Kydra. And, of course, he actually did create the universe, which... Like, it's, it's literally, this yeah. time. How, um, how meta. Yeah, I so thought does, does that mean Oliver Queen is God, then? I mean, he always was. 
I mean, yeah, true. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he basically is, I suppose. Um, I mean, we just uh, need to rewrite a few things. You know, at first there was a fight with the anti-monitor, and then there was light. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought his second death wasn't as effective as his first one in this crossover. But it was still really good, and I like the fact that Barry and Sarah were the only ones present because they were closest to him of that lot. But obviously, not having Diggle there and things like that is a bit weird. Like, where is he? This is also the Arrow episode, so where are the Arrow cast you know, at this point? I mean, they don't exist at this point, I suppose, which makes it hard to be there, but still. Even gets acknowledged when Diggle says, like, I died twice and both times I wasn't there. <laughs> the man dies twice and I miss both of them. <laughs> like, Come on. What kind of a best friend is he? But it was, a, it was a nice moment, and one of my major criticisms of the Crisis event in general is the fact that the fight scenes were really weak, which definitely makes the Crisis on Earth X is still my favourite of the crossovers because I think it comes together as a large-scale story a lot better, and it has more entertaining action. Whereas Oliver versus the Anti-Monitor, they're just standing around firing different coloured beams at each other. That's boring. You know, that's X-Men Apocalypse. And it's just not interesting <laughs> to look at. Oh, and there's a sky beam. There is a sky beam. Of course, there's a sky beam. Yeah. It has to be it's a sky beam. It has to be a sky beam. That's when you know things are serious and dramatic. Yep. Especially yeah. if it's Oliver yeah, Queen's yeah. last fight and he's just kind of standing there firing a beam at someone. Just with, with regards to the final death, there definitely has to be something like in, in the final episode. Because there, there, there won't be anything in the penultimate penul- penul- one because that's going to be a. Backdoor pilot for the spin-off series about Mia, uh, Dino, yeah. and Laurel. But if you remember, like at the end of the last season, like when the monitor takes Felicity through a portal to somewhere where she's going to be meeting up with Oliver. Or at least that's the implication. Yeah. Yeah, and so that would mean that he needs to exist in some form, somewhere, somehow. Maybe she goes to yeah, that I- Star City twenty forty or whatever year it is, and hooks up with the other Oliver that lives there. God, that'd be terrible. I mean, it would be essentially the same ending as Doctor Who. You know, the the series four episode where Rose is like, oh no, this is a copy of the Doctor, that'll do. What I thought might happen was that with Oliver becoming the Spectre, I assumed that, that he would continue to exist in, in, in that state and just ascend to become this, this cosmic being of, of like balance and justice and vengeance. So that would allow Arrow to come to a definite conclusion. Um, without Oliver technically having to die. And it would also keep the door open for him to, to make cameo appearances in the future if there's a suitably apocalyptic danger. Uh, actually putting any burden of commitment on Stephen Amell to have to be in any shows for any given length of time. Now, I'm not so sure if that's the route they're going to go. It's just going to end up as, as just like ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, that could still happen. We have no idea what the final episode of Arrow is going to be about. You presume that Oliver Queen will be in it in some form. Who knows? But I think the fact that he gives his life to reboot the universe is quite poetic because it was him at the beginning of all this. And now he's the one that makes the new beginning happen, which is what ultimately this this crossover is. At the end of Arrow, obviously, but it's also a new beginning for the universe that it gave birth to by just being a show that was on. And it passes the torch to Barry and Sarah as well, being the longest-serving members of this, I suppose. I mean, I suppose Diggle would technically be longest-serving. But in terms of show leads, I guess, Sarah would be longest-serving at this point. 
Because as a character, she's been there since the very first episode of Arrow. The other way was a different actress. In, in and with her name spelled differently. Not too, yes, I keep forgetting that. <laughs> so she's always had some kind of presence in the show. And having her be a continuing major part in the whole thing going forward uh, still, uh, still provides that, that link back to the very beginning of it. Yeah. Chris, what did you think of Oliver's second death? I think his second death was handled really, really well. Uh, I think I'm giving his life to essentially recreate the universe as what a way to go. <laughs> if you're going to pick a way to go, then yeah, sure. That one was really well done. Yeah, I was kind of... end like that when you started watching this weird little crazy <laughs> about a guy with a bow and arrow like eight years ago? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. I think the only thing would have been having more people around them, though I suppose having it more intimate with just Barry and, and that was... I mean, um... they were literally the only people that were existing at that point in time, so... Well, there was, there was other people... They're at that place. Yeah, but they don't care. Well, Lex? <laughs> yeah, well, Lex, Lex, whatever, can hang back. But there's others there. I think it was handled pretty well. Obviously, we've not seen the, the episode of Arrow yet. It might have aired by the time this goes out, or probably has aired by the time this goes out. So maybe they'll do something else there. As long as they don't cheapen it, then, yeah, I'm, I think sacrificing himself twice so that others can survive is the way Oliver Queen would go out. Yeah, I think... I had some sort of logistical issues with... It's the same whenever somebody gets these kind of cosmic powers. They forget to establish rules about what they can do. So Oliver's <laughs> like, well, Barry, I can give you extra power so you can get into the speed force. And now we need to travel back in time to stop the monitor from doing uh, his experiment in the first place. And then it's all this other stuff. And then later on, he comes back and he's like, oh, yeah, that was never going to work. And it's like, How do you know this stuff? And why did you make them do it in the first place? What is going on? And then... He, he can fire energy beams at the anti-monitor and he can do other stuff and he <laughs> seems to have some knowledge but not other knowledge. and Yeah, it's just kind of nebulous. I mean, I'd rather just have a guy in a bow and arrow. Like, why can't he fight the anti-monitor with a bow and arrow? That would have been Okay, nice. I, my bit was, so they've been on that station for, what, like a month? I think they said at the start of the episodes. Yeah. Oh, it's been a few months. Barry, you've been like away the whole time and we've been here for months. And it's like, well, what have you lot been surviving on? Meanwhile, you your hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, you brought a shaving kit, an overnight bag and three months worth of supplies with you. That all got zooped over with you when you arrived here in the fallback shelter. Meanwhile, the moment where Oliver goes there, I've unlocked your full potential, made the just made my eyes roll. I was like, what was that? <laughs> there wasn't even a flash of light or anything like that. He literally tapped his head. And I was expecting the line, whether it's been cut at some other point, of that potential was there all along. I did <laughs> yeah, nothing. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. I, I was, at some point, the line is going to be said, I didn't do anything. You've had the strength within you. <laughs> and the fact it didn't happen made me both delighted and gutted at the same time because that scene just for me just went what hang on <laughs> and exactly what greater potential is there in him to unlock I mean, <laughs> this is a guy who already possesses the power to run fast enough to literally stop time i mean how much more is there in him to actually bring out no no he doesn't stop time he just almost stops time 
It's very yeah, nearly it, stopped. It's just and, <laughs> and he can pull people into it when he sort of fancies as well. Uh, if he just wants yeah, to have a bit of a conflab about an if, yeah. issue that he needs to resolve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he couldn't you know, get into the speed force because there was no universe to generate one. But as soon as he got given that extra power, there was a universe to generate it. Doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, and then and then the, then the speed force was there, but wasn't but wasn't there, but wasn't the speed force, but was, and, I mean, and, and yeah. I mean, it makes about as much sense as the anti monitor being unable to access the vanishing point, but someone that gets their power from the anti monitor being able to send people to the vanishing point. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got no idea where they could possibly be hiding, considering that there is only essentially one place left. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, they pointed out he couldn't get in there, but for some reason... Everyone else can. Pariah, Nash Wells, Pariah, whatever his name was, could send people there. So couldn't the anti-monitor just get him to send him there? No, well, I don't know. No, just send this small thermonuclear warhead there. Let's yeah. take out a couple of the non-superhumans that are there. Yeah, so that um, bit was a bit weird. I also found the whole Speed Force section quite weird because I think what they were shooting for is they were going to use Oliver Queen's memories to make everyone unlock the paragon myths within themselves. So that's a great idea in theory. So Oliver Queen's been through the ringer a little bit and he has memories that cater for a wide selection of neuroses. So (laughs) cool. But I didn't find the memories especially useful. So what, Kate gets to see him arguing with Ray Palmer, and she's like, ah, I should trust people earlier than I currently do trust people. That makes sense. Fine, but what's that got to do with, what was her paragon power again? Courage. Yeah, she was courage, courage, wasn't it? What's that got to do with courage? Having the courage to trust people? Bit of a reach. There was Sarah, well, Sarah wasn't even conscious for hers. (laughs) <laughs> just two people standing over her dead body. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, unconscious, dead, who knows? It wasn't clear, but she didn't learn anything from her experience because she didn't really have an experience. I suppose the closest was Barry learning about that sacrifice that Oliver made and the fact that he didn't resent it in any way. That's, in theory, an act of love that suits Barry. You know, it matches up with Barry, but and also learning that there is another crapper version of him in the universe out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, that moment. Are, are we going to go for that now? Yeah, why now not? That we've, now that we've raised... What the hell? What was that about? <laughs> Come on. I actually like the... I mean, I like the Ezra Miller version of Barry, and the fact that they managed to sneak that in is really impressive. Well, I mean, the fact that they managed to pull it and get it in there, great. However, it's in the wrong episode. It's in the episode where the rest of the multiverse is supposedly in pieces. You do that in the one before, or you do it somewhere in the Flash itself, where you pull him in and he reveals a bit of random exposition, a la something he's done in a film before, and then you get rid of him out. What's he doing in the middle of this one? It's just the, oh, this shouldn't be happening. I like to see them sort of admire each other's costumes. That was quite funny. It's like, yours looks safe and yours looks breathable and comfortable. (laughs) I mean, I suppose neither are true, but it was was a fun scene and the fact that they managed to get that in there is good. And then I guess it adds the DC films as part of this big multiverse that they've built. 
Although, strangely, there's still some things that didn't make it in, such as Gotham. Mm. And Krypton wasn't there either. I'm sure there was some other stuff. Catwoman, I guess. No. I mean, hopefully that Earth stays destroyed. But <laughs> it's like, no, no, we've mutually decided that I'm not bringing this one back. Yeah, We've got bad news and we've got good news. Good news, two <laughs> Earths survived. Bad news, one of them is this one. <laughs> one of them is a cat with an Earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so the Ezra Miller cameo. Again, it was pointless, though, because nobody learns anything from it. And I think that was the issue. The impression I sort of got was, you know, when you're running late on handing in a piece of work like an, well I'm talking about an academic essay here where it's like I need a quote that supports this point I'm trying to make and you flip to a random page like, this one <laughs> kind of fits I'll try that it's almost like well we need scenes that that help us make this point about why Kate should be courageous put random episode of season 3 on ah this scene will do and that was it and Jean's one where it was like he learns that they have to depend on each other but he already knows that. In fact, he's the one that always says that. So, great idea, very poorly executed. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a shame because it would have been a really good exit for Oliver Queen as well. This kind of this is your life from the perspective of others type situation where we get to see key points in his life and maybe interact with them in unique ways, but it didn't play out that way, unfortunately. Did you get anything out of those scenes, Chris? Not really. It was nice seeing some more of the cast in. It sort of pulls in other people that you couldn't, and maybe other episodes where they'd run out of room, but that was about it. It didn't really do tons for me. I didn't get why it was there. I didn't quite get their reasoning for getting out, but I always pick flaws at these things where they write themselves into a corner to go, oh, well, you'll never believe how they get out of this situation. And then they write it and you go, yeah, I don't believe that's how they got out of that situation. You were correct the first time round. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, I, I, I can't believe that all hope is lost and you're stuck here and, oh, it turns out you go through the speed force and ta-da, it's done. Although I did like the Ryan and Kara stuff with Kara has given up hope because she has no reason to hope anymore, I guess. And Ryan's the one that kind of brings her around to start hoping again and his continued demonstrations of his humanity that worked really well because he kept it small it was a really a shame though when he got completely killed in the final fight because he's got absolutely no powers fighting ability and has never been trained in combat before though wasn't it i mean no, it's, he he's such he's such a loss at that point though wasn't he <laughs> yeah it was it was really a shame i had such hopes for that character <laughs> There's no way he survived that big fight with all those monsters and things when it seemed to be taxing the other people so much, even those with superpowers. Oh, no, hang on. No, hang on. He survived, didn't he? Oops. Okay. You can edit that bit out, Craig. I, I was wrong. Sorry. Read the wrong bit. He was giving the Shadow Demons a good punch. Apparently, that's all it takes. Yep. Yep. He was. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I don't get it I don't understand it I've got an army of millions of shadow demons well they sound like a world ending threat no they're really shit <laughs> it seems that the only thing that makes them formidable is that there's an infinite number of them yeah they're formidable because eventually you'll get bored hitting them <laughs> <laughs> or you get tired your arm yeah, get you'll tired. suddenly let your guard down and be like oh I'll swat this one away with a piece of A4 paper and it will get you and then that's it you know 
Yeah, you go to reach for another piece of A4 paper and you realise you ran out of paper. You go to over-enthusiastically punch one and you sort of pull a bit of a muscle and then you trip over <laughs> and then you hit your head on the rock and then you die. That's how they get you. They wait for you to slip on a banana peel. Everyone's got their strengths. Patience, I guess, is theirs. <laughs> yeah, I hope we see more of Ryan because I really liked him, but I also don't want him to be ripped away from his family to go messing about with the legends. That wouldn't be fair on them. <laughs> Unless he doesn't have a... F- no, he does have a family in this new Earth, doesn't he? Because that's what he's doing. He's trying to protect them. Yeah, that was on the new Earth one, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Earth one. Earth Prime. Whatever. Earth yeah. Prime, yeah. Earth Prime. Well, I, I can only assume that the, him joining the Legends pr- pretty much is the plan for him, given that Brendan Routh is going to be leaving this season, and that Ryan's comic book, I did see, is also the Atom. Yeah. Just coincidentally. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that's the plan. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I liked how he was used in those, certainly in the first episode, just him having doubts about why he's a paragon of humanity and then constantly proving it just by being himself. That was that worked well. Because yeah. he is the normal person in the midst of all this chaos. And of course he would have doubts. And then as soon as he let himself be himself, he proved why he is that. The way that I looked at it is that he was able to stay hopeful about it, like precisely because he's a new person, because this is his first experience of dealing with these kind of, uh, apocalyptic threats. He doesn't have any frame of reference of the myriad ways in which everything can go wrong, and any plan that anyone makes can come tumbling down around them in a matter of moments. So he's able to stay hopeful about it, because he, he doesn't see any other way of things playing out than things eventually working for them. I just thought having that addition to the team like, was precisely the, the kind of input that it needed. Yeah, although it was somewhat baffling that their entire mission was a complete waste of time because the anti-monitor just said, oh yeah, you might have convinced one of Marnovu to stop his experiment, but there's like infinite numbers <laughs> of them and, and they'll all do it. It's fine. It's I mean, would the episode have been that much different had Oliver sent them into the Speed Force as well and they found a way to feel good about themselves through that? I don't think so. It was, think, an, it was an excuse to do the Monitor origin story, wasn't it? Yeah, but even then that was rubbish. I mean, it's like... Oh, yeah. It was pony. Right, but, he's put but on they, a suit, and now he's going to try and travel through time, and it's, oh, no, I've somehow accidentally created the worst being in existence by, I don't know, just by being here? I mean, that's it? That's That's what you came up with? Yeah, I, I don't didn't. Understand. I, d- I didn't quite get where the monitor's power or ability or whatever came from. It was like I've done a scientific whoopsie. I've ended up in a place that I wasn't expecting to be, and when I've created a villain out of it as well, I didn't quite get where all that came from. Did I miss a bit of exposition in it? Because all it seemed to me is that he ended up on a different planet from where he was expecting to be. Yeah, well, it was just the dawn of time he was travelling back to. And then he got stuck with all these powers and became like a cosmic being. I think more needed to be done there. I think Well, didn't even see from the bit of the scene that we saw that he ended up with power or anything in that no. particular scene. It was just, yeah, he was there in his spacesuit. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, it's just the, the anti-monitor appears at random and then... Mm. I mean, he was poorly done as well. There's nothing to him. He's just an obstacle that they need to punch. And he's not a very threatening one at that. And which was precisely why he became giant size. So he would seem like more of a formidable threat. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although he was less formidable when he became a giant because they could hit him, whereas yeah. when he was normal size, he was a bigger they target. <laughs> but they couldn't get through his shield when he was normal size, and then when he was giant size, they suddenly could. Well, there was no shield to get through. That made no sense. It seemed like once he was giant sized, you had two people who are faster than a speeding bullet that could have maybe knocked him over or knocked him out. You've got two flying projectiles and one that can run really fast along the ground. Oh, well, three. Three. Flying projectiles, actually, sorry. Yeah. So it seems like there were options, but okay. <laughs> like you say, he takes down his shield and he just becomes more vulnerable. It's odd. And slower. He can't react as fast because he's a big, massive guy trying to move about. It just... Yeah, I don't know. That didn't make any sense. No. Yeah. He was a bad yeah, villain. It, it, I don't know if you've, if you've ever watched this anime series, Attack on Titan. I've heard um, of it, but I've never watched it. Well, most of the action in that consists of these gigantic, lumbering humanoids coming about the place, and the tiny, puny humans are using these kind of like projectile grapples to constantly bring their way around them and stay out of reach of like, their hands and, and mouths in order to hit them on their weak spot on the back of their neck. The whole visual of that, of that final fight just constantly made, made me think of that. Hmm. I think the real villain of the crossover was Lex, to be honest. He's <laughs> the only one that seemed like he was a threat to anybody. And I kind of like what they did with yeah, him. That's probably why he was there. Yeah. I kind of like what they did with him, turning him into, or he turns himself into the paragon of truth. So instead of finding out what the truth is or what the truth means to him, he defines the truth for, I guess, the universe, this new universe, because... They all have to think really hard at the forming universe. <laughs> oh no! Oh, you've just reminded me of that. That's awful. Oh. It's like, hang on, we spent what a whole two episodes dealing with this whole paragon concept, and that was it. That was what it was for. So we could kind of think really hard. It's yeah, you know, you, you don't you don't even need to hold hands. You just stand in a row. That's the whole stare. build up. Stare oh, intently at the, the light. Freaking Care Bears or something. <laughs> but I do like the idea that Lex yeah. has sort of manipulated the formation of this universe to kind of go his way. Because there's no other way that people would believe that he's like a saint, essentially. And it's quite fun. I think I quite like that idea that Lex manipulates the idea himself. Yeah. I may have been more open to it if I just didn't find him as a character so fundamentally irritating. <laughs> As character traits in general, I absolutely despise arrogance. It's tedious, it's boring, it's repetitive. So Lex is in need for everybody else to understand and acknowledge just how smarter he is than them. It quickly becomes very, very grating. Yeah, yeah I'm just <laughs> being annoyed thinking about it. All right, okay. Yeah, I can see why you would think that. I think they do a really good job with Lex, though, because he, he always does kind of prove himself right or prove that everything he says is, at least in relation to himself, is right. And he seems to kind of know what he's doing all the way. You know, the um, I love it how he's like, no, no, I'm going to become the monitor. You know, you, you can screw off. I'm going to do this because <laughs> I need your powers and things like that. And I like his back and forth with Kara as well, where it's like, okay, let's test this teleporter that we've rigged up. And she's like, no, we can't sacrifice any more good people. Lex, thanks for volunteering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I like that. And then you get that brief shot of him in part five where he 
is being honoured, and they pick up on that more in uh, in Supergirl. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of unravels around them because it's bound to. But I think yeah, John Cryer is still my favourite of the Lex Luthor versions that I've seen. And I love Michael Rosenbaum, I think, but he's a very different Lex. But this one is more comic book, deliciously evil kind of thing, and I quite like it. And I also like that he was always still out for himself because I was worried that they were going to compromise him by making him part of the gang suddenly and then suddenly not part of the gang when it's all over. The fact that he was always out for himself was very consistent. I, I did like during the fight when he's saying, if anyone's taking over the universe, it's me. Yeah. Which I thought was, yeah, okay, of course that's Lex Luthor. I, I mean, I think he's really well acted. I like him. They did a really good sort of plot with him in Supergirl. He died and I thought, oh, well, they've done a really good Lex Luthor. They've made him really conniving. They've made him come up with a good plot. They've taken him out of the picture right away and then they can move on to something else. And then they're like, oh, we've brought him back because we liked him the first time. Oh, um, because we didn't do the everyone discovering Lex Luthor is an evil bastard plot, we're now going to come up with a way where we can now do that side of the story because we skipped right to the end the last time. And that's where they've kind of got me going, oh, but why? <laughs> but well, why are we going to do this again? I wonder if their plan is to keep him on retainer for appearances here and there because obviously he's going to be a fixture in Supergirl for the rest of the season. How many episodes that will be, I have no idea. But we've also got the... Superman show on its way. It just seems to me that, oh, well, we, we can't have this without uh, having a Lex Luthor. They've found a really good actor to play him. He's doing a really good job. But I was like, he's, he's one of those villains out of the villain drawer that I'm just kind of bored with. You you know what a Lex Luthor character is going to do. Whenever you see them on screen, it's kind of like, oh, right, I, I know exactly where he's going to come from, and I'm sort of bored of that already. So, so that's my only thing, is more that I'm bored of Lex Luthor's rather than I'm bored of this Lex Luthor. I like that they kept him true, that he was out there for himself. He was looking for every opportunity to get power. He's written in the fact that he got superpowers as well. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'd love to see what he wrote down, you know, or what he was thinking when he did, oh yeah, I'm the paragon of truth, oh, and I have superpowers now that was all scribbled on that that one page that's left you know yeah but yeah we'll see i've, I've not seen supergirl yet so i don't know how they've kicked that off uh, apart from the little bit that's in the crossover so it's good fun. well i did think that him giving himself superpowers did seem to to run counter to his whole feud with, with superman in, in the first place his, his obsession with destroying superman is, is largely down like to this super, supremely powerful being like is un- unnatural and for everyone to admire and, and worship him is wrong as people should admire the achievements of humanity instead well then to turn around and then give himself powers that, that puts him on the same playing field as a kryptonian it just seemed to me that that would then transform him into precisely the kind of being that he has issues with well it's that double standard isn't it i mean he doesn't think that kryptonians deserve to have the powers they have because they didn't earn them or whatever or don't have the intellect to deserve them but he thinks he deserves them so that's why he gives himself those abilities which he did last season in Supergirl and then promptly lost them and now it's unclear whether he keeps his Book of Destiny powers or not even in the episode of Supergirl that I watched today at the time. I look forward to the plot twist intensely. But I can kind of believe that he thinks the only right hands for those abilities are his. That makes sense to me. Yeah it totally makes sense from a character perspective it's just also massively hypocritical. Yeah, I mean, no one ever said that he wasn't a hypocrite. Yeah, I think that's part of him. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't think he ever said that he wasn't a hypocrite. I think it's just, yeah, 
the fact that he just feels like he deserves to have everything. Yeah, it makes sense for me. Fair enough. So that's Lex. Lex, probably the main, the proper villain of this piece, because he is the one that essentially wins something out of it. You know, the Anti-Monitor is defeated, and he manages to shape Earth Prime in a way that benefits him, which is interesting. And maybe what is the Lex Luthor that gets everything he wants? You know, that's it could be what they're playing with in Supergirl um, over the next few episodes. You know, what, what happens to this little version of Lex that wins, essentially? You know, has no, nothing to oppose him. Does Lex, with a, a clean sheet and everything that he wants, behave, or does he go back exactly to what he was in the first place? Does he get bored, you know, because he, yeah. he has nothing to strive for anymore? Yeah, who knows? We'll find out. So what did you think of Earth Prime as a concept? I mean, we kind of touched briefly on the fact that they've combined the Earths and you have an extra dose of the why don't they just call X a X problem. But what did you think of the way they introduced it? Putting it in a Legends episode was very fitting, as far as I'm concerned, because mm. it's the craziest thing you... Well, it isn't the craziest thing they did during the crossover, <laughs> but, it, but it allowed them kind of carte blanche to do loads of crazy stuff because it's a Legends episode and no one cares. You can do anything in a Legends episode. I like the fact that they've put everything together. Like I said, I didn't know if they'd have the guts to do it in the last podcast. I'm kind of glad that they've just went, oh, do you know what? They're all on the same earth now. It means that it gives them the opportunity to rewrite certain things that they want to, characters that they've maybe killed off or not killed off and lets them bring back familiar faces and rewrite some people's backstories and character relationships and try and fix things, which is always the excuses that they use. (laughs) We've had the Flash do it before and give them the excuse to go, oh, uh, that person's alive, that person didn't die in this thing, and this person's good now. Okay, cool. And then, uh, oh, and uh, Diggle's now got a son. Uh, And this, they've went, it's now twins. (laughs) And then they went off. He has a son and a daughter. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted Diggle to come back and have triplets. It was just, you know, that's what I wanted to happen. They didn't do it with Diggle, they did it with Superman instead, but they still did it. It's brilliant. It's like, how can you tell the timelines changed? Someone now has more kids than they had before, or a different sex. It's brilliant. It's like, also, thanks, Oliver. We're barely (laughs) managing financially with one kid. Now we have two. So, thanks. The bank's repossessing the house next week so thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> to me it's almost like the better version of flashpoint isn't it mm. you know, it's the the world has changed in fundamental ways and they built up to it by having a proper sized event rather than just half an episode like they did in flashpoint so having not seen supergirl do they address if john's able to just go around to anyone he fancies and give them the memory of the fact that there was a time before or is they it just actually the- do Apparently, if he restores memories on a global scale, it will literally make their brains melt. (laughs) Great. But what about the individual characters? They're fine. Oh, they're fine. So they've they've all been not brain melted then. Okay. Right. Yeah, basically everyone who's a principal character in any of the shows has their memory of (laughs) of the world that they once lived in. Which is, you know, which helps. Although, I don't think they've kept their memory of the world that they now live in which is limiting in some ways. <laughs> That's great. Good news, you can remember a life before this. Bad news, you've now forgotten the pin for your phone. <laughs> you don't know where you live anymore. You moved house in this timeline. There's also the sense that Oliver was trying to fix a few things as he was rebuilding the universe, so bringing Diggle's daughter back. Well, he doesn't seem to bring back anyone else. He's like dead loved ones. I mean, Barry doesn't go home to his two very much alive parents, for example. <laughs> at least that we know of 
Uh, that that would be great. I look forward to the Flash episode where his mum and dad visit for dinner. <laughs> it was like you called us two weeks ago and told us, you know, you, you know, we've been looking forward to this trip for ages. Yeah, is today a bad time? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. In the middle of an episode. Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think, Andrew, of this idea? I think it, it was a good idea in principle, just because it uh, allows them to streamline the setting of their main shows, even though that wasn't much of an issue in the past. And I think it, it's something that they'll certainly have ideas for going forwards and bringing it about in this way will make it easier for them. Well, the main thing that, that kind of bugged me about it was Earth is essentially three Earths merged into one. It's previously established multiple times that there are multiple versions of the same people existing on each Earth. So when the Earths were merged, was each version of the, of the alternates also merged together? And then, if so, how was it decided which one of them would be the version of personality to actually survive, whereas the other two being effectively erased from existence? Auditions. So, yeah. So we know from we know from Elseworld that there was an Earth One Alex. I mean, it was an altered version of her, but it was the Earth One version of Alex that was in that episode. It doesn't seem like she made it. And we know from Crisis on FX, there's lots of Nazis, so... <laughs> yeah, they, they, well, that's pretty fitting, actually. There's lots of Nazis in our world, so maybe there's lots of Nazis in theirs, who knows? Yeah. yeah, there's some issues with that, I guess. I mean, we never found out if there was a version of Barry and Oliver and so on on Kara's Earth. We have to assume not, because when Barry tried to Google, like, Star Labs, it didn't exist. Neither did Caitlin, neither did Cisco. So maybe they just were never born on her Earth, it's possible. It's... I think it's something that they'll have to address in some form because my main question is over which Laurel are we getting? Oh, Because obviously the one that we've been following is the Earth 2 one. So did Oliver engineer it in this new Earth that the Earth 1 Laurel never died? I don't know, does that mean that there's a composite of, of Laurels that we're about to meet? And I imagine by the time we publish this podcast, that question will have been answered because... <laughs> it's it's today it's that the, it's today that the backdoor pilot airs for Queen Arrow and the Canaries. So I imagine my guess would be that question will be answered to some degree in that episode because she's in it. But I don't know. It is a good question, and I think it's something they're going to address over the course of the season. So what multiple versions do we have really that we can think of? So Laurel, that's one. I mean, do Jesse and Harry now live on Earth 1? Or has that version of Earth 2 remained destroyed? I mean, there's been an absolute decimation of the Council of Wells. That's it. (laughs) It's gone. Thank God. Poor Council of Wells, that's it. Tom Cavanaugh will be like... Yeah, well, Tom Cavanaugh will be sitting there going, thank God for that, I just need to do one accent now for the rest of the thing. That's it, done. And absolutely no more stupid costumes. (laughs) I mean, Eobar Thorne, I imagine he'll still have to do that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. We already know that Nash is the one that mm. is there, but he's not even from Earth One. I mean, he's stuck there now, I suppose. Who knows? Protected by his whatever he was doing as his other job. Yeah, <laughs> well, he's not. I mean, he can't do his job anymore. There is no, for all intents and purposes, no multiverse for him to explore. And aliens are a thing now, obviously. Yes. I mean, they kind of were a thing, but not really as major a thing. Which I think is more an impact for Supergirl than anything else, because it did a whole season on alien immigration and, and, and the still impact. Like part of the DNA of the show, anyway. Yeah, it's it's a massive part of it, and that 
you've either got to go, oh, it turns out it's all accepted and it's all a thing now because superheroes are loved and all that, or they've got to go, oh, this this is still brewing in the background again. Uh, honest. But it also means that like the Flash can routinely fight aliens without worrying about it. I mean, they could do that before, I suppose, but mm. now it's still a bigger part of it. I mean, yeah, it opens up more bits like that. But yeah, it's yeah. an interesting thing. It's like if there were people on other Earths that didn't exist on the primary Earth that we were following, so has the Earth's population now doubled? Have you got, where's everyone going to fit? <laughs> where's everyone going to go? It's one of those post-snap things, isn't it? It's like, well, a lot of houses burned down and... A lot of places became unoccupied and all these people have suddenly come back. I'm, I'm sure it will be a massive crisis of some kind. It's like, no. But I suppose it's been that way the whole time for them. So it's just the ongoing situation. It's only us that know that the number of people has changed. That the following? Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, suppose everyone, so, doesn't it? Because yeah, everyone yeah. else was there to begin with. So it isn't a massive crisis in that way. But yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, every normal civilian is aware of only the, hmm. the life that existed on that Earth, so they see things differently. It's just our heroes that understand that the crisis happened, and I guess the remainder of the seasons for all of the shows will, or at least some of the shows, will at least partly be focused on finding their way around, learning what's different, understanding what their place is on this Earth, and hmm. and how things have changed. Uh, so I, I do think they'll approach the kind of doppelganger situation, like who, which version wins out. I mean, obviously the, certainly for the Paragon characters, it's just the ones that we know. But well, we don't know if there was a Barry Allen on. Well, we've Black got, we've got to assume there were. Yeah, we've got to assume there were other Bar- Barry Allens out there, even if we weren't showing them on screen on certain Earths. So, but there was there was a Barry on Earth three. I remember, like who didn't have any powers. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it was just this like, kind of dreamy guy in a bow tie. That was Earth 2. Was it? Yeah. Mm. As in Harry's Earth. I, uh, I, uh, I, can't, I can't remember ex- exactly when yeah. that was. Yeah, but there. I'm wondering if that Earth remained destroyed because it was destroyed before the crisis. Like it was the test Earth. <laughs> um, it was a pilot. Um, I, I wouldn't think so. Um, I, I just took like, like, the, the reason for it. That Earth being destroyed early was just to establish the stakes of, of what they're up against. But I'm sure they mentioned that the the monitor the anti monitor tested it on Earth two, like tested his antimatter cannon on it. I think that was said somewhere. But now Stargirl's on Earth two anyway, or the new Earth two. So unless that's hmm. the same Earth two, who knows? I mean, maybe they'll answer that question. It wasn't, wasn't clear. There were some numbering of, of the Earths that were actually the same as the ones that have been used previously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because because to say like with Earth nineteen, we're Swamp Thing, because that was where Gypsy and and Breacher were from, and like and their whole dimension hopping bounty hunter people. Yeah, it's a, and it's not clear if like kind of, they're still there on that Earth or if they're somewhere else or or what what's going on. Yeah, there's been a reconfiguring that's happened for sure. Just depends what it is, but. I feel like they're going to leave the multiverse alone at least for a while because they've kind of established okay, these other TV shows exist on these other Earths but we're not going to interact with them. They just still exist. Which now confirms that Titans and Doom Patrol are set on different Earths, I guess. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that that shows that as much as one was introduced on the other, they've split them out. It was just their version of that, though. <laughs> so mm. you know, it's, yeah. So there is still a Doom Patrol on the Titans Earth, but it's not the same Doom Patrol that the show follows. Yeah, the other though, it's just mostly the same. Yes, except not led by by Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of fine with that, and as long as they cover it off, like they don't expect us to just go with it completely, because that was my problem with Flashpoint, was we were expected to just accept a lot of stuff that they couldn't be bothered explaining. So having it be about these people getting used to their new surroundings could be quite interesting, and I think there'll be some surprises for people. You know, there'll be people that they thought were dead who are now not, and or people in positions that they weren't in before, such as Lex. And things like that. I think that's that's all pretty good. And actually, in in, in the the most recent Batwoman episode, um, yeah, because there was like a kind of surprise appearance of of someone, um, yes, which, yeah, which I'm assuming was as a result of Crisis, um, yeah, but it, it, it but it it wasn't kind of clarified one way or the other. No, because it's a cliffhanger um, for next week. Yeah, it, it was just left with as a surprise to be resolved. Yeah. And Supergirl does some stuff that suggests how things work for other Earths that once existed and things. So we shall see. I suppose the most exciting thing was that Barry decides to form the Justice League (laughs) after years of not forming the Justice League. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he needs to to give the place a mop, to be fair. It doesn't look the cleanest, but he has a nice table and everyone has a chair. Although Superman and Supergirl might get confused over which chair to sit in, because they have the same emblem. No, and yeah, it's a, it's a big drafty old room that for your meeting room, isn't it? Yeah, and there's also nothing in it except a table. Yeah, it's. Hmm. Does this make Barry the Bruce Wayne of the universe? And inherited wealth. And yeah, he has all this money. Yeah, he inherited wealth this, yeah. and all these facilities. Sure, yeah. why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's un- unlimited access to, to, to impossible sci-fi technology. Yeah. yeah. Next he'll be driving about in a flashmobile. <laughs> he'll be like, Barry, why are you driving around in a flashmobile? It's so much slower than you can run. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's Bob, because it's, it's the same reason why Wonder Woman flies an invisible jet. Because sometimes she just can't be arsed. And sometimes she just can't fly, depending what version it is. But that was a really good ending, and the fact that, yeah, okay, we now have a place where we can meet when things really get bad, and we can work together, and this will be our like team place. And and Jean's like, yeah, it'll stop you dropping by the DEO. And it's like, you drop by the DEO. You, you don't work there anymore. <laughs> it's a weird Justice League team, though. It's like, Superman and Supergirl, Batwoman, The Flash, Martian Manhunter, and White Canary. It's a very strange, <laughs> like, early, early Justice League team. I bet you Sarah's just like, I'm just going to humour him, but I'm never coming back to this. <laughs> and also Black Lightning. Yes, and a seat for a Green Arrow of some sort. Yeah, yeah where, where's Ryan's seat? I want Ryan there, <laughs> like just randomly in amongst them all, just for the sake of it. You know, yeah. why not? Yeah, but he was fun. Why do we have Ryan in here? 
Well, we are all off to save the world. What are you going to do, Ryan? I don't know. Binge Netflix, maybe. <laughs> to come back. Do you need me to build another shrinking bob? Because I can do that. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll just stay here and trim my beard then. <laughs> that I, I was the only one who grew a beard, despite everyone else being around for a month. <laughs> I don't think we'll see the Justice League or whatever they'll call it, probably the Super Friends, because they'll be legally not allowed to use the words Justice and League in the same sentence. So, God, I just uh, hope it's not Super Friends, because that just sounds so stupid. Also, I hate that cartoon. Well, they they teased Gleek at the end, didn't they? So that's a Super Friends thing. Yeah, and so, so uh, that follows, they, they, they might bring in the Wonder Twins. Yes. It's also a reference to the fact that Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist are in the room. They were on Glee, and what are Glee fans called? Gleeks. Gleeks, yes! I did not know that. I guess I, I never watched Glee, nor paid any attention to it. Ah, it's pretty good. I haven't seen it all, but I've seen some of it, and I have to admit that it's quite enjoyable. Explains why you want to do musical episodes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sums that up nicely, doesn't it? No, no, I'm just a, I'm just a glutton for punishing our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Before Pod, the musical, will be the least downloaded <laughs> episode in history. I've seen worse at the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't think we'll see that again until the next crossover. That's what I think. Because, you know, they don't have that kind of money to do that all the time. But it also raises the question of what is the next crossover? Because you don't get bigger than this. Oh, they're, they're going to really tone down the scale, aren't they? They're not going to be able to... Also, if they're all on the same earth and they're all interacting quite often, then what what are you going to do with your crossover? What what size is it going to be? Yeah, I yeah. wonder if they bother doing a like full crossover or not, or just or just a partial one. Mm. You know, this year we'll just have Batwoman and Supergirl team up, or whatever. Yeah, it might be that they do individual team ups. So across a week, they'll get different characters to interact and do something on the shows individually, rather than do one big thing with everyone all in. I mean, it's hard to predict based on comic book arcs, because Crisis on Infinite Earths is really the first crossover that's been an actual comic event that they've adapted, isn't it? Mm. I mean, yeah, you've had the Nazi Earth and stuff in DC Comics, but as a direct, like this is what the event was called, that's it's the only one, isn't it? Andrew, you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm um, right. I, there was a, a comic arc of, of Invasion. Um, oh yeah, so there was. Though it didn't bear much resemblance to, to what we saw on screen. It's in the same way that none of the Marvel films bear any resemblance to the events they're adapting, really. I mean, Infinity War is not a lot like the actual Infinity War that existed in comics and things. But yeah, Invasion, I'd forgotten about that. Well, it was still the Dominators in the comic, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. So they have done that before. So who knows? I don't know what they'll do next year. Interesting to see. They'll just have a meeting. They'll go in to polish the desk because they've not used it. It'll be covered in dust. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, go to, they'll go to inspect the new headquarters and find out that Barry's done nothing with it. Yeah, that's it. It's just, yeah, infested with rats. <laughs> oh, this is nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just been sitting there unused. He's like, Barry is like one of the richest people in the country, if you think about it, and it never really comes up. He also still does his like CSI job because I guess he likes it. I don't know. 
Does he even still go there? You know, it's, it's unknown at this point. Um, I, will, I'll, I'll, I think when the plot demands it, it'll him. Yeah. yeah but interesting to see. I wonder when they'll follow up on the Gleek thing. Um, I imagine it won't take long for them to pick that up. It doesn't seem like something that would be long-running, does it? I don't know. God, it could be... Yeah, someone's getting an alien sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> but who? Who's getting an alien sidekick? It'll end up being Oliver. He'll be stuck in some like eternal dimension with a stupid little alien. It's really annoying. I now want to see a cartoon of their adventures. Um, it's uh, that's what I want. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> That'd be great. But yeah, we have a Justice League with Black Lightning in it. I would have liked to see more of Black Lightning interact mm. with the other characters because I guess he has less chance because he only really. Talks to Barry, and then Mick and Killer Frost as well. And then he kind of gets erased and then pops back up. It doesn't do much when he's back either, and it's like, oh. Yeah. Although that um, that memorial, you know, the lighting, the flame for Oliver was really weird because the attendees were really weird. Yeah. Because Jefferson's there, but he's never met him. (laughs) There's also Kate, who kind of Barely knew him. Yeah, she'd met him like once. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, Diggle wasn't there. Ray wasn't there. Felicity wasn't there. Nobody close to him was there. Even Cisco, like, would have made sense because they kind of talked a lot. It's that was it was an odd lineup, wasn't it? <laughs> was it? Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to do a memorial, but we're doing it at our secret base. Okay, cool. Can I come? No. Is no. it the secret base? And you're not invited. Uh, sorry. Why is Jefferson invited? It's because like, I'm in the chair, right? Yeah, he, he asked me to make a desk. Yeah. It was a nice scene, though. I think the, the things that everyone said about how much he meant to them was appropriate for who they were and their relationship to him. It was it was good. It was quite touching. And the fact that they'll have his costume standing there for eternity. Although, how long do you think it'll be before someone gets thrown through it? <laughs> it's what glass cabinets are made for, is it not? <laughs> yeah. And then they'll look at it and they'll look really upset, or someone will get really angry because they've defiled the the Oliver Queen shrine. And some guy will go in, some janitor that's tidying up the secret base, and he'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to try on this cool outfit. No one else uses it." <laughs> and that ja- that janitor is Oliver. <sighs> plot twist. Plot twist. <laughs> Absolute plot twist. Yeah. But hang on, who's out wearing the outfit? Oh no, none of us, none of us know who it is that's going around saving cities everywhere. Yeah. Turns out it's William. <laughs> yes, yeah, William wasn't there. Mia wasn't there. Jesus, yeah. nobody mm-hmm. who should have been there was there. Well, have they been sent back to their right thing? Is this one of the fixies? As we'll learn in that, uh, yeah, we'll find out. I suppose, that, yeah, that has been on but wasn't on by the time we recorded this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's go with sure. You know, it's uh, for, for listeners. You you will get to judge us on the, on the back of this and go, oh, they were talking complete nonsense. Yeah, um, but yeah, and no more than normal, obviously. But yeah, but this time it was it was very very wrong nonsense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What do do we what do we do? Do we just record uh, alternate endings? So it's like sort of choose your own adventure sort of thing where we go, Oh, it was great, they were back. Yeah, sure, why not? It's like, <laughs> it 
how great was it that they all went back to their own earths and that was really cool or went yeah. back to their own time yeah they're back in their own time and everything it's it's brilliant isn't it no. <laughs> <laughs> so it being a legends episode this last episode it allowed them as i said carte blanche to do some fun stuff which includes a good old Beeple cameo. Yeah. You can yes. never go wrong with Beeple. No, you can't. Yeah, I loved it when they tracked down the guy responsible and Sarah was like, no, Beeple is off limits. You don't get to do that. And she like decks him because she's really annoyed that he's defaced the image of Beeple. By... <laughs> I, I think we mentioned it in the last podcast. It was like, we've all got to unite together in some way. And I think we, we all went for Beeple as being the option. So, yeah. Yeah, that was good. It was brief, but it was good. And I love it how they were like, is that normal on this earth? I'm like, yeah, we don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, sort of. (laughs) More or less. The absence of Oliver worked really well because I I like how Sarah and Barry both kind of naturally gravitated into that leadership position. But as soon as Barry realised that, oh, this isn't my field. Sarah, you do it. You you tell everyone what to do because I I can't handle this. You're, You're the one who deals with crazy. Yeah. And I've really liked the conversation as well, where Sarah was forced to kind of accept the fact that her tether to her old life is now gone. Except her mother. Anybody remember her mother? Because I do. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, oh, yes, I do, because she was played by Alex Kingston. It was kind of hard to forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone else seems to have forgotten. So. And Quentin's probably still alive on this new earth as well. She just hasn't realised it yet. You know, they, but I liked her conversation about how like they both had to accept new normals throughout their lives, and yeah, Sarah's kind of forced to move on and make new routes. That's it's quite an interesting prospect for her. Okay, so as a kind of final thing, how do you think this compares to the other crossovers that we've had since they started doing them? So this goes way back to Flash versus Arrow, I guess, which is our first one. Andrew, where do you think this kind of fits in the whole pantheon of crossovers? I think it is certainly pretty high up there. I agree with what you mentioned earlier, that Crisis on Earth-X still remains the best of them. Um, yeah, hands down. Yeah, yeah just because I think it seems to, be, seems to be like that since they started doing the crossovers, the scale of them kept on increasing and, in, in, and incorporating uh, more and more aspects of it. Like of of the whole Arrowverse, and and more and more characters where Earth X was this ultimate culmination of 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 bring of bringing everything all together in into one place, and I think it was pulled off very much flawlessly. Whereas this one, though, it did arguably have a bigger scope because you got like literally the entire multiverse at stake. Though, as we've discussed, I I don't think like it, it's all fit together quite as well. Or, or quite as seamlessly as they would would, would have hoped. But I think I'd uh, still prefer it over some of the other ones. So, uh, so I, would, I, would, I, would, I would say overall, maybe like about, about, about third or so. Like, like, like in, in, so to give it like a numerical ranking. Yeah, for me it would be second. I think Elseworld suffers from the fact that it's just set up for this, largely. But So it would be Crisis and Earth-X, then this, then probably... Uh, probably Flash versus Arrow slash The Brave and the Bold, that two-parter. That was a really good one. I think the worst one was the Legends of Tomorrow set-up one. That was the worst one they did. 
because it was just so clumsy. What do you count Duet as a crossover? Not in the sense of it's the one that appears at the 8th or ninth episode of every season. I mean, it is a crossover, but it's not like an event like these are. So Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm considering like the events. Um, I also think Duet is problematic. I think it's not as good as it could be, but that's another story for another time. I think the ranking's pretty fair, actually. I'd probably follow along the same lines as that. I think this is great. I mean, the scale of it was absolutely huge. I think we kept mentioning on podcasts running up to this, it's like, how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to pull this off? And I think, to an extent, they've done really, really well at what they've got. I think there was quite a lot of, especially in the first half of, oh, we've got to fit this character in, we want them to visit this earth, and these characters, and these bits even if the plot kind of doesn't quite make sense to doing this. And the conclusion, like, we've picked holes in several bits of it. So, yeah, I don't think it quite stacks up. And I think a lot of how we look back on this will be judged on what the individual shows do with it in the future. Yeah. So how they carry on from this. Do they pick it up and go, all right, we've been given an opportunity here and we're going we're gonna to run with it? Or do they turn around and go, right, so we're going to ignore the fact this has happened <laughs> and have no development or no changes whatsoever, maybe the occasional mention, and that's it, we're moving on. We're doing one episode to get over what's happened here, and then we're off. We're, we're doing our own thing. So I, I think that will determine how you go back to this. I still feel cheated by the whole death of the Flash thing. Mm. I don't think they built up to that well. or they built up to it well, but they didn't deliver on it at all. Him getting away with it on a technicality is rubbish. And I don't feel like he was truly tested by this in the way that he should have been. That's one of the things that's like, it's been such a big part of Flash and it's been such a plot point over recent seasons that, oh, the date's changed or this is updated or the headline's updated and what does this mean? And then it's like, okay, so the date and everything updated, but the picture didn't? Yeah. thing <laughs> It's like... I, I I don't know. It just seems, yeah, but it, they have cheated them out, but I don't know how... I mean, Wally was completely absent from this. Apparently he's in one of the comics that tie into it. Oh, well, yeah. I, I don't I'm not going to read those. <laughs> I don't read. Yeah. It's like people saying you've got to read the visual dictionary for Rise of Skywalker to get half the plot. But that's a completely different podcast that you've already had. <laughs> so it's like, if, if they were going to do, okay, we've lost one Flash, we're going to have another, who's it going to be? They've, they've written out all their other Flash characters, all their other speedsters are in hiding or deleted. It's also so, Grant Gustin's your lead as well. But Yeah, well, that's could, it. You could have still had the sacrifice and then they come back to Earth Prime and Barry's mm. there. Yeah, like, one of one of guy? the one of the things Oliver fixed in his final yeah, moment yeah. was this, you know. Yeah, but it's not our body, or is it? You know. Ah, <laughs> oh, we're not going to get that. That's really annoying. Yeah, so we've kind of been <laughs> we've kind of been cheated out of that, I think. But I think a lot of it was well, what were they going to do with it? Yeah. Which is probably why you shouldn't spend half a season building up to it. If <laughs> well, well it's, it's not even half a season building up to it. It's the, the amount of times that that headline and stuff has been referred to over yeah. seasons. It's not even half of a season. It's but aggressively big... building up to it. for Oh, oh yeah, aggressively yeah. building up this season. But all the stuff in the run-up has always been, oh, there's this date, there's this story. Oh, yeah, it is what it is. And I think the the fact that we none of us walked away feeling completely disappointed by it means that they've succeeded. 
Mm. You know, not completely, but that was never it was never going to be perfect. But I think the fact that they put some work in and delivered something that was mostly satisfying and gave us some fan service that is some of the best fan service we've ever had on anything, to be fair, is is great. And that final piece of fan service where they showed us Brandon Routh Superman smiling at the camera as he did a flyby, that was that was great. I really loved yeah. that. Yeah, because the, the whole point of like Brandon Routh Superman was was that he he was a, he he was he was a, a, a continuation on Christopher Reeve's portrayal and having him do that in exactly the same way that the two movies ended like what was a, a great acknowledgement of that and that he was essentially standing in for, for the man that most people strongly associate with the role of Superman. Mm-hmm. And he put the yellow back in his emblem, which shows that he's healed in some way, you know, emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I, I, I assumed that to be that one of the uh, multiverse restoring tweaks that Oliver made was to erase the gas attack by the Joker on, on the Daily Planet that killed everyone. Or, as a paragon, he remembers what happened and what he experienced as part of the events of Crisis and gave him what he needed to restore that colour to his costume. Well, Supergirl remembered, didn't she? So, Yeah, I but she also um, didn't die. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, <laughs> mm. He did. Yeah, but he technically didn't die. He got overwritten. Yes, he was just kind of written out, out of a book of a cosmic power by mm. someone scrawling their name in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and also writing the words, oh, and P.S., he also has powers now. <laughs> <laughs> at the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's all it takes. That's all you have to do to, like, cosmic texts, apparently. Fine. <laughs> Did anyone else read the rumour that Brandon Routh might get a miniseries as Superman? I did not, actually. It's only came out the past couple of days, and it is definitely not like substantiated by anything. But the suggestion is it might be on that HBO Max thing that they're making because that's where Green Lantern is going to live and whatever. So they could do a few episodes of a Superman series to give Brandon Routh a chance to play that role because everyone loves it. Everyone loves him in that role again and wants to see more of it. And I guess it can be whoever runs the TV. Well, the Greg Berlanti's, Andrew Kreisberg's. Um, Mark Berlanti's of the Mark Guggenheim, that's it, of the world, uh, thumbing their nose at the film division, being like, <laughs> look at this, look at our two Superman TV shows where mm-hmm. we know how to do something with them. <laughs> and you guys have no idea what to do with yours. But I think it'd be nice, I'd watch it for sure. Yeah, it depends on if they come up with a plot that they want to do with it, because you're already going to have the sort of uh, Lewis and Clark show going on. So. Well, if it's just him with a different ensemble because his main ensemble's dead, that'd be interesting, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it could be like the latter years, defeated all his villains, what's he doing, kind yeah. of Superman, yeah. He lives in a world where Lex Luthor is no longer Kevin Spacey. So, on that note, I think we've covered this in some detail, possibly more detail than we did the other three parts, if that's possible. So, Andrew, give us your sort of final statement your final word on Crisis on Infinite Earths, because we're not allowed to talk about it ever again. We now live on Earth Prime, where it never happened, and this is the last you can say about it. And where the delivery is next day for free. Yes. Final word, satisfying. It was a great adaptation of 
uh, very significant and, and iconic comic book arc. And aside from a few missteps, so overall, I think I think they did a brilliant job of of adapting it as well as as they could in the medium that, that they're working in. And I really don't think there was too much more of that we could have expected from it. Yeah, fair. Chris, your final words on this ever? Uh, final word, content. I think I'm content with what they've done. I think it's got the usual plot holes and weirdness in it, but yeah, I'm, I'm content with what they did. Final phrase, Bebo loves you. <laughs> Why have they not merchandised Bebo yet? Why not? What are they playing at? Why forever not? Disney's finally them. selling Baby Yodas that are not Baby Yodas. So why are we not able to buy Bebo? Let's tweet Berlante. Be like, Bebo, are we riot? And then, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My final word is pleased. I'm very pleased by this whole well, thing. I think it worked well enough. I enjoyed it. There was nothing about it that made me hate it. There was nothing about it that made me really, like, bitterly disappointed I think they, given the resources that they have they managed to pull it off giving us a flavour of the DC stuff of old that we all loved in various forms was great and when they did Flashpoint I was really disappointed because they made a mess of it you've got one shot at this huge comic book situation or comic book story and they made a complete mess of it it was horrific and I think The Flash has never quite recovered from that as a show, but that's another podcast. But this, it's their one shot at it. There probably will never even be a film of this. But I feel like they made good with their one shot at it. And yeah, it sort of reminds me of why I'm invested in this whole multiverse that they've built. So yeah, I loved it. Overall. Now we just have to go back to mediocrity, perhaps, on some of the individual shows. Or next we have to say goodbye to Arrow, so tissues at the ready. It'll, it'll be an emotional farewell. It will, it will. Yeah, so now we're all on the same earth, which is handy, so we can all just kind of go home now, which is useful. There's no jumping through portals. Thank God yeah. for that. That was getting really confusing. It was. Yeah, all that portal hopping and... Meeting different versions of yourself and whatever else. So, yeah. So, Andrew, thank you for being here. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure. And Chris, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, I am off to cancel my subscription to Earth Prime because I don't get much use out of it. So that was our discussion of the Crisis and in Infinite Earths finale. A special thanks to YouTuber Dagma for his cover of the Arrowverse theme music. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then don't forget to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, or any major podcasting app iTunes users would love it if you'd leave us a comment and a star rating. If you want to discuss Crisis and Infinite Earths, the Arrowverse, or anything else, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.